Support for Motley Fool Industry Focus comes from our identity protection friends at MyIDCare. The massive data breach which occurred this past September puts you at risk. Join more than 25 million Americans who already rely on MyIDCare for identity protection. Get started today by visiting myidcare.com forward slash fool and save 15%. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today we're talking energy and industrials. It is Thursday, the 16th of November, and we're going to be discussing the U.S. natural gas market. And joining me in the studio is the one and only Motley Fool Canada Premium Analyst, Taylor McCormick. Taylor, thank you very much for coming in. Yeah, it's great. How's it going? It's been too long. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you found some all-stars to sub in for me. <laughs> not at all. Um, so, after a pretty long and hot summer, mm-hmm. uh, maybe not for all of our listeners, but definitely in the D.C. area, yes. it, it was a very long hot summer. Uh, it's finally getting cold, colder here, um, and I think they're predicting colder weather for the rest of the East Coast. I've had my heating on for a couple of weeks now. Are you a... Uh, hold out, or are you a go straight to the heating? I don't know if my heat's come on yet. I don't think it has. It's been like <laughs> six, not in 67 in the house. Well, it's like a uh, condo, so we ha- we take advantage of the building being generally uh, warm. Yes. So we only have one exterior facing wall. Mm-hmm. So, so far, I think we're just living on, on everybody else's heating <laughs> bill. <laughs> Sounds nice. Um, so, speaking of heating mm-hmm. um see what i did there yeah um we're getting into kind of peak demand for fuels because you know winter and heating and everything yep uh, so we thought it would be seasonally appropriate to talk about natural gas um natural gas has experienced a boon uh re- recently as a result of the shale revolution it is now one of the least expensive forms of energy available in the u.s mm-hmm. Last year, the U.S. was the world's largest producer. Uh, we put out 750 billion cubic meters of gas, the second highest recorded output level ever. The majority of which, I think up on 90%, actually, is uh, consumed domestically, which makes it the second most heavily consumed energy source uh, in the country. So for people who might not be familiar, which honestly includes myself, how is natural gas extracted? Yeah, we don't talk about it a heck of a lot. Um, Usually oil or renewables is generally what's going on with this show. But um, yeah, it's very similar to at least the revolutionary way that it's been extracted is very similar to oil with the shale drilling and fracking. Mm -hmm. Um, You you see it in different basins. So when you think about oil, you generally think Eagle Ford, Permian in Texas, the Bakken in the northern Midwest. Uh, But Natural gas is generally coming from the Marcellus and Utica shales in the Appalachian and Ohio region. So different different areas of the country, but similar in terms of how it's being extracted. Um, obviously, different equipment, mm-hmm. but the general idea is still the same. Drilling down into these uh, now unconventional reservoirs and then horizontal drilling still being used here. And fracking, so creating the fissures in the in the soft rock, and then flooding it with either CO2 or water or other chemicals and sand or silicone propens to keep those fissures open, and uh, let the good times roll. Mm-hmm. And also, like oil, these are quickly declining wells, so they're drilling a lot more than they typically would with a conventional reservoir, um, which has a lot longer life. So, yeah, it's very, very, very similar to why we've had such high oil output in this country. Mm-hmm. And it's similar. In, is it similar in terms of the supply chain, as in the elements that you have in oil, the extractors, um, the, sorry, the extractors, then the people that transport, and is it kind of set up in the same way? Yeah, very much okay. so. You have the, the companies that go out, and the exploration production companies, mm-hmm. and then you have the Halliburtons and Schlumbergers of the world that still uh, do some drilling for natural gas as well. 
and also their peers in that equipment and services sector. And then you have the gathering and transmission companies, the pipelines, and then the refiners. Yep. Mm-hmm. So very similar. Uh, and then you have the exporters now uh, with LNG coming online with uh, down in the Gulf Coast. Mm-hmm. Liquid natural gas. Yeah. So yep. you basically uh, f- almost freezing mm-hmm. natural gas, and so it compresses down into a much more condensed state. So then you can then load it onto cargo ships, keep it refrigerated at that extremely cold level. So then you, you dock in a, whatever country decides to buy it, and then you unload it off the ships into pipelines. They slowly heat it back up so it expands, and then off it goes into uh, pipelines to heat other homes in Europe, China, Japan. Mm-hmm. And there are other countries that export as well, Australia being one of them, with a lot of their offshore LNG facilities, um, and a few others. But the United States is really coming online now, Chenier Energy being the first with their Sabine Pass facility in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know it's getting big in Europe. I remember there's uh, a, a new port been built that was kind of very high-tech for liquid natural gas. Uh, and then it went unused for a number of years, but I think it's getting turned back on. Yeah, now. it's been an industry in flux uh, since like the early 2000s. The Sabine Pass facility was actually built to be an LNG import facility. Um, and then all of a sudden, we found right, out yeah. how to drill shale, and uh, and so that was no longer needed. It never even imported any LNG, I don't think. That's crazy. It spent billions of dollars to build it. Company almost went belly up. Sharif Suki, the CEO, um, I think I mentioned on this show the book The Frackers. There's a a lot of uh, material in that book dedicated to him. He came in and was like, you know what? We're reversing course. He found people to loan him the money. And they tur- they flipped the script and turned it into a LNG export facility, and it was the first one to export uh, LNG out of the country last year in 2016. There's a handful of others that are approved and under construction that should be coming online this year and next year, mm-hmm. a- and then a whole list of companies that are pending approval um, or just haven't started construction yet. So there's going to be a-, a lot of exportation of LNG out of this country over the next five, ten years. Wow. Like smart guy. Yeah, 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 no doubt. And then, and then they ousted him. Uh, oh, really? They ousted him right after they started exporting LNG last year. And he's starting a, another company, uh, but um, yeah, he's no longer there to reap the rewards. Although I think he still has a decent amount of shares involved. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Um, well, as you know, as we mentioned in the intro. Um, the U.S. consumes a lot of what we produce, but yes. the, the expectation is that that's we're going to produce more than we can use, as mm-hmm. you were talking about. Uh, I found an interesting stat when I was doing some research for the show. It said in the past ten years, the U.S. used has used two percent less energy, mm-hmm. uh, but natural gas consumption is up twenty eight percent. So essentially, natural gas is getting a bigger slice of the pie. Yes. Um, obviously, it's uh, cheaper, it's cleaner. Um, I think potentially commercial application is growing um mm-hmm. the the reason that that's a good thing is obviously because it reduces seasonality but do you expect this to continue do you expect it to become a, a bigger and bigger slice well yeah when you talk about that in the summer of 2006 it was about 25 percent of our electrical generation came from natural gas uh coal was in the 40 percent mid 40 percent range that's quickly reversed course over the last decade uh natural gas overtook coal as the number one power source in the united states within the last couple of years, and now accounts for a third of all generation, uh, a couple percent higher than coal. And uh, and a lot of that has to do with, A, the price of natural gas collapsed in 2008 and 2009, right along the same time that oil did. Mm-hmm. Oil rebounded after that. Natural gas hasn't. It's still, it's still in a long-term decline, not nearly as dramatic as it was over those couple of years. But um, 
it's way more cost competitive than a lot of re- for a lot of regions rather than coal and like you mentioned much cleaner than coal uh, even though it is still a fossil fuel it, it burns much more cleanly uh, there's a lot of talk about the extraction of natural gas releasing methane into the atmosphere but a lot of companies trying to develop technology to capture that mm-hmm. so that the extraction is no longer as harmful as some people say it is to mm-hmm. the environment um, so once that's dealt with, if it is, then you could see even more folks drilling natural gas because uh, we didn't have the pipeline capacity. They were caught off guard, and so a lot of it was flared. It was burned off into the environment. That was made illegal, and so they had to kind of subdue some of the extraction so that they weren't you know, burning this natural gas at the well site. But pipelines are coming online, and we're starting to see infrastructure catch up to the supply the, the supply boom and uh, prices still still pretty low. They're in that they've averaged about I think it's three three dollars per million British thermal unit over the last two years. And for frame of reference, it was in the mid to high teens in 2005 2006. Wow, that's so, incredible. So yeah, a pretty dramatic fall, and a lot of that is the reason why um, we're seeing so many plants switch over from coal to natural gas and new plants being built to utilize natural mm-hmm. gas to supply power. And then you mentioned commercial and industrial applications. Hundreds of billions of dollars are being spent on the petrochemical side because you can frack, uh, you can fractionate this natural gas into ethane and butane and propane. And so those have practical applications outside of just heating your home or powering your air conditioner in the yep. summer. Uh, basically, I would say well over 50% of the things you touch and see every day have ethane or propane or, or butane involved. Uh, plastics wouldn't be what they are without natural gas and the ability to fractionate that into ethane, and which then turn into propylene and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, it's a lot of scientific names, but uh, in the growth in population and the growth in the use of plastics, you talk about the movie The Graduate mm-hmm. and plastics, plastics, plastics. It's uh, that's like the future, I think, for natural gas. If renewables chip away at its use in the power sector the use on the industrial and, and commercial side has a bright future. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, I, I mean, I think it's interesting, the kind of collapse. It's probably driven a lot of efficiencies, as it has done in the oil industry, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Um, and the, the kind of the thing that got us onto this topic was you sent me an article about the Rover pipeline, mm-hmm. uh, which is being built by Energy Transfer Partners. They've spent $4.2 billion on this pipeline. Um, it's taken three years to build, I think. Yeah. Uh, and it should be online early 2018 with enough energy to power 30 million homes. And the thing that's kind of interesting about this is that it's reaching regions that have previously been underserved, mm-hmm. is, was my understanding. Uh, for investors, the good thing about that is it gives you kind of a geographical diversity that oil and gas maybe doesn't. Uh, you know, With the Hurricane Harvey that happened, um, the risk was mitigated yep. somewhat. But you are exposed to those kind of events, whereas I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but... If you're talking about pipeline and um, natural gas, you're kind of spreading that risk a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Not only from the geographic perspective, but also from the commodity perspective. Um, If you see electric vehicles continue to rise, not only in the U.S., but also globally, with um, countries like France and China and Canada saying they're going to be done with petrol power vehicles mm-hmm. by 2040 at, at the latest for some of these countries. Um, you, you could kind of hedge your bets a little bit if you want to stay invested in fossil fuels and get exposure to natural gas because uh, China is going to be a huge growth driver for natural gas demand through LNG and its own internal production. Um, supposedly, they have the largest natural gas reserves of any country uh, underneath the ground. 
United States is right there among the top as well. And uh, so certainly you're going to see this this continue to ramp up with countries pulling back on nuclear power and coal. So uh, natural gas has, I think, got a, maybe a little bit longer runway for growth demand, mm-hmm. or demand and growth um, than, than oil probably mm-hmm. does. So and you mentioned the regions that were on previously untapped. The New England area was vastly underserved for natural gas transmission. Uh, one of the first companies and only companies you could gain exposure to that was Spectra Energy, and Enbridge snapped them up. Um, I think it was like early, late last year, early this year, they finalized the deal. And so Enbridge traditionally was, I don't want to put a percentage on it, but drastically close to 100% oil transportation. Spectra was the exact opposite, natural gas. So now that they're combined, they're the largest pipeline company in North America, overtook Kinder Morgan, and uh, very nicely split between oil and natural gas. Mm-hmm. And you're starting to see a lot of, or not a lot of, but you're starting to see an increase of M&A activity in the industry as people are kind of realizing that there's this, uh, a viable growth opportunity. Mm-hmm. One example would be Shell's uh, 70, was it 70 billion deal to buy Britain's BG Group? Yeah, that um, was a big deal. That was an international na- mm-hmm. play on natural gas, yeah, yeah. and, and LNG. That's, that's definitely um, expanded the mm-hmm. uh, exposure to the market, um, particularly in Europe. Yep. So the industry is starting to gain a bit of traction, but before we go into that, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor for today's show. Support for Motley Fool Industry Focus comes from our identity protection friends at MyIDCare. As most of you will probably remember, it was revealed in September that Equifax had a huge data breach which exposed personal information for more than 50% of the U.S. adult population. Hackers stole names, social security numbers, birth dates, addresses, and even some driver's license information. With the holiday season approaching, there is an increased risk of identity theft. As we up our online spending activity, our personal information is put at greater risk. There is, however, a solution. MyIDCare provides best-in-class protection for all types of identity theft, from medical ID theft to child identity theft. They offer credit protection, dark web monitoring, 1 million insurance, and 100% success rate at restoring identities. Don't wait until it's too late. Enroll today and join the more than 25 million Americans who depend on MyIDCare for protection. Get started today at myidcare.com forward slash fool and get 15% off. So as you mentioned, prices hovering above the $3 mark um, mm-hmm. today. Uh, the EIA is predicting about a 1% increase in demand annually, so there's definitely growth trajectory. But do you think this is this is definitely a turnaround moment for the industry? Do you think that there's kind of more volatility to come? Um, so it's it's tough because there's there's a lot of play here, and you talk about the in- increase in pipeline infrastructure that obviously allows folks to produce more because there's greater takeaway capacity. Um, but then one percent demand globally isn't uh, a whole heck of a lot to mm-hmm. you know really rest your investing hat on, um, and then renewables chipping away. But I, I think that natural gas has more staying power than oil, and I just worry about maybe investing in the producers of natural gas. There's greater upside there, but mm-hmm. um, there's also um, high risk, high reward kind of deal with those with those folks. Um, and there's a lot more of them, so you kind of have to really do your due diligence a lot more than you might typically with a giant pipeline or an mm-hmm. energy services company, which is te- how I tend to invest in energy in general, not just natural gas. Um, but if you want to look at the growth, I think North America is a great place to start. We're expected to be the largest fossil fuel exporter by somewhere in the 2020s, according to the IEA, and a net exporter um, of energy next year. So 
that opens up some different doors than what we've seen traditionally here in the United States where we've consumed most of it that we've produced as well as imported a lot of natural gas from Canada and oil from Canada and oil from Mexico and oil from the Middle East uh, and where we are right now um, we're it's the industry is still going through a lot of change but if you see all these projects get built on the Gulf on the petrochemical side um, I think that that's going to add a lot to um, buoy the price of natural gas mm -hmm. and give it some diversity rather than just relying on super cold winters and super hot summers. Yep. Um, because you have seen the price of uh, natural gas go up a little bit in the last week or so with the cold spell that's kind of caught people off guard. Um, but if you look at the futures market, they still expect the price of natural gas to remain rather subdued. Um, so if, if unless something catches it off guard, you're going to want to stick with the very efficient producers that have prime acreage. Or, you know, you can invest in the pipelines, or if you believe in the boom coming of LNG exportation, Chenier Energy has not only the Sabine Pass facility that they're still expanding, they've got uh, the Corpus Christi plant in Texas that they're going to uh, be firing up within the next couple of years. And then Semper Energy has a Texas-based facility as well coming online. I don't have the exact year, but it's within the next couple. And then Dominion Energy, um, with their Cove Point facility in Maryland is the only East Coast facility under consideration and, and, and under construction. So maybe a little bit better exposure to the European market there, a mm -hmm. um, little less travel time than going around Florida mm -hmm. and, and up that way. Um, so there's certainly some areas to take advantage of the different pockets. Uh, Exxon spending a ton of money in the Gulf to blow out its um, infrastructure on the petrochemical side. Dow Chemical doing the same thing. Lionel Basel, very active, almost coming back from the dead of bankruptcy um, late in the 20 in the 2000s. Now, um, stock just on fire recently. Mm -hmm. um, pure play on petrochemicals, whereas Exxon, obviously very diversified. Shell spending a bunch of money in that area as well. So um, there's different ways to target it. I I might be a bigger believer long term in natural gas than oil though um that's interesting pipelines you've got kinder morgan Enbridge, like i said with that spectra energy acquisition i was a spectra energy shareholder sad to see it get bought but still happy to see it um be a going concern within a great company like Enbridge. i just wanted that natural gas specific exposure it's kind of diluted now with uh, Enbridge's oil uh pipelines that they have but Williams and, and their MLP, Williams Partners, much more focused on natural gas and the pipelines and energy transfer partners, like you mentioned, with that big rover growth project coming online pretty soon. Mm -hmm. And people want to look at some producers, Chesapeake Energy, Cabot Oil and Gas, Range Resources, and EQT Corp would be a good place to start. But uh, like I said, you're going to see some higher volatility with those folks versus the uh, – the pipeline companies, mm -hmm. which we're going to pay a, a more sustainable dividend generally. And those take or pay contracts where they're almost guaranteed the money for the for the producers from the producers to transport their natural gas, even if they don't fill the pipeline to their prescribed capacity, they still owe that money. Wow. And their long term contracts are greater visibility into cash flows. And uh, that's what we're all about here at the Fool's cash flow. So mm -hmm. the greater visibility into that, uh, the the better, I think. Mm -hmm. So, if somebody's kind of if, if somebody's looking to kind of capitalize on this industry, mm -hmm. would you advise maybe looking more towards the infrastructure development in the pipelines as opposed to the extractors? Yeah, pers yeah, personally, yes. But everyone's different. There's definitely money to be made in the producers. You just 
just going to give a better caveat there to be a little bit more careful. Obviously, everyone should do their due diligence when investing. I just think that there, it takes a certain level of understanding mm-hmm. and um, risk tolerance to to justify investing in some of these producers, especially if you expect prices to stay rather low. Um, obviously, I don't see prices collapsing like they did in 2008 and 2009. So you could, you could, that suggests that there might be some asymmetric upside with limited downside, but lower for longer is going to, is going to hurt all these companies. And if that's the case, then you could just be riding for the dividend rather than seeing some share price growth with these pipelines that are going to see greater uh, resource transportation as production rises. Mm -hmm. There's one thing to mention too is um, you. We are not the first people to talk about natural gas in the mm-hmm, investment right. world, so that the PEs are a little bit high at the moment too. Um, it's well, earnings are also kind of suppressed, so that mm-hmm. that drives that multiple a little higher. And with the cyclical industry like this, some some people suggest that a high PE is a time to buy into it because earnings could be depressed and share prices just might not have caught up yet. But um, once the earnings, once they turn around and start to start to rise. If you see the PE start to shrink a little bit, earnings might be turning before the price does. So it might, if you're like a, if you focus really hard on the PE ratio and like the charts, that's what people suggest about cyclical industries like this: is wait for that high PE to start to roll over to a to a low end, and that's the time to buy as earnings start to fire. Yeah. Um, one question that I have for you is um, a lot of these. A lot of these wells that have been offline are mm-hmm. coming back online. I think in the Northeast, it's something like almost a third of wells that have been off since 2014 are being reactivated. Mm-hmm. Do you think, how much do you think this has to do with general optimism and kind of investment in infrastructure? And how much do you think it has to do with President Trump's uh, campaign promise around kind of energy and unlocking some of the potential, reducing the regulation? Um, obviously, that's going to factor into yeah. people's. I would put a zero percent on President Trump's claims. Nothing to do with him, mm-hmm. but this enter this this industry is going to roll with or without him. It has been for many years before him. Um, if you look at the net job growth after the recession, without energy sector, it's basically flat, if not negative. So this sec- this sector and industry have been on fire for a long time, and I think that added takeaway capacity is encouraging companies to flip the switch on these wells. Along with the wells that they've drilled, but they hadn't fracked yet, because fracking is the most generally the most expensive stage, and you see the same thing with oil right now. A lot of wells drilled but not yet fracked, so drilled but not completed is what you're going to read. Um, and at one point earlier this year, that was at an all-time high for oil. It was still very high for natural gas. They're just waiting for prices to turn around, and you've seen that happen in oil. These companies have started to frack those wells, and it's just basically. They've just been holding their thumb over the hose, kind of, sort of. And once they start to frack these, that's that's supply that's ready and willing to spurt out of the ground. They don't have to go out and find it. They don't have to go out and drill for it. All they have to do is frack it. And I, I say all they have to do in, 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 a light, in as light a way as I can because it's still very serious and takes takes some time, but not nearly as time as the entire process. Mm-hmm. So same thing with natural gas. If prices start to click up like they have over the last week or so, they could slowly start to remove that thumb. The natural gas is already flowing. There's just a tiny little barrier there. And um, so that could keep prices subdued until okay. you reduce that inventory of drilled but not yet completed wells. Yeah, and, that, yeah. and that's the key point with uh, all of these commodities right mm-hmm. now is moderating the supply, I guess. Yeah. Um, but Unfortunately, we're not a cartel. So yeah. these companies are going <laughs> to, they're, they're all chasing that dollar and they don't want to give up their slice of the pie. So 
that's why we're in the position we are right now is everyone started using the same technology at once with cheap debt and uh now we're sitting on mountains of shale oil and natural gas Mm -hmm. which is you know good in a sense great for the citizens tough for investors yeah absolutely Um, well, thank you so much uh, for teaching us all and me um, about natural gas today. Yeah, cheers. Um, I'm sure you'll be back on the show. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> uh, Unless we get terrible ratings on iTunes, <laughs> then I'll, I'll silently bow out of the rotation. Uh, well, that's it from us today. If you would like to get in touch, please feel free to email us at industryfocus at fool.com or tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you don't want Taylor to bow out of the <laughs> please give us a shout out. Um, as always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For Taylor, I'm Sarah Priestley. Thanks for listening and fool on.